Good morning. My name is Mike Rosell. I'm one of the pastors here at Sela, if you're visiting. And we're taking a little break as we walk through uh, the T's of the New Testament. Uh, we just finished up Thessalonians. We'll be starting next week in the second uh, Thessalonians, uh, second Thessalonians <laughs> 2. <laughs> I can count one, two, three, four. Uh, but we're going to take a little break today and we're going to do what we call a standalone message. A standalone message is just something for me as the overseeing pastor to take an opportunity to share a little vision, share a little, uh, uh, take the opportunity to tell you what the Lord is doing here at Sela Pottersville Ministries, the Ignite program, and um, what the Lord has been doing in my heart. I want to be able to share my heart today. Um, And one of the things that I want to be able to do is I want to teach out of the chapter uh, in Psalm 27, if you want to turn there. Psalm 27 happens to be my life verse. You you got the signature thing? That has ended up on... I think on the low end, over 150,000 pieces of pottery over the last 30 years. There are people all over the country in different parts of the world that have that on the bottom of pot. They sign Pam's book, I'm covered in clay, they hand me a Sharpie, and this is what I do. Yet, I've never taught on this chapter. This verse was given to me by an aunt when I was melting down one night. And it was really hard for me to receive it from her. For those of you who know, my aunt was about 5'8", and her feet didn't hit the ground. So her feet would always just stick straight out from the, um, from the couch, and I would be hearing her, and she would be doing it in love. But it was always weird because her feet didn't hit the ground. So I was like, you know, I'm not even sure if I can receive from you, because you can't even, your feet aren't hitting the ground. But it, it, long story short, she handed me Psalm 27. She said, this is a life first that I've had when I've gone through very difficult times, and you're going to be going through some very difficult times. And you're going to need this verse. Well, I didn't need that verse. Why? I'm an object lesson guy. Because this was me. Do you guys know what this is? Yeah, piece of the puzzle. All of us are a piece of a puzzle. We weren't designed to be a piece of a puzzle that was a standalone. But I enjoyed being this piece. I wasn't designed by God to be my own piece because you're not really part of anything. But this is what I was part of. I'd go to church for three and a half years and still be a piece. I wasn't part of another piece. The other pieces start to make up the puzzle. And they start to fit together. So somewhere in this room is not only a lot of other pieces, but then it comes in the form of, if you buy a puzzle, you will buy it in a box with a picture on it. It has a lot of pieces that make up this puzzle. But I like being my own piece. Until one day I started to realize, what if every Christmas someone just gave me a piece? My friends were getting bikes and skateboards and roller skates, but every year I got a piece. The next year they go, here's another piece. 
Yeah, they don't fit. Well, I don't want you to put them together yet. You just got to just wait for the next piece. Over 27 years, God's been putting pieces of my life together. None of it made sense. But the first and foremost decision I had to make is I wanted to be piece of the puzzle, not just a piece. Because a piece of a puzzle is not the puzzle. That happened on August 2nd, 1991. I gave my heart to the Lord. And that was the day that God allowed me to enter into and be a piece of a puzzle. And now Psalm 27 started to make some real sense. Let me read it to you. Lord, you are my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set my and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At this tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. O God, my Savior, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will never, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I'm still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Although this was a life verse, I saw verse 13, probably for the very first time in 27 years. There's different parts of that chapter that have ministered to me, and I can quote, and I can recite, and I've memorized. But this one area I've blown over, Let me read verse 13. And I I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of the Lord even though my foes come against me, false witnesses. All these things that come against what God has called me to do is he's called me to be part of a piece of an army called the body of Christ as we move it forward. As now we're part of a body of believers, now you need to know. Now that's much different when you're just one piece. I remember the day and the time and the hour that I knew I was one piece. I thought I really had gotten away with something. The pastor was teaching on warfare. And all the attacks that come against those of those who are doing something for the kingdom of God. 
And I'm sitting back going, this is great. I've not even experienced none of that stuff. This is like really great. I don't ever get this. I'm just sitting there. And then he comes in and he goes, oh, and by the way, if you're sitting there and you're not having any attacks or any of this, the reason why is because you're not doing anything that's any, that the enemy would ever get mad. So he's already got you where you got, want you, at a place of complacency. I'm like, oh, gosh, that didn't play out well for me. You know, I, then I realized maybe I need to be part of a puzzle that people can see that God is doing something. And that puzzle was the church, the box. So as I started to come and get involved after I gave my heart to the Lord, now I'm be part of this piece. Well, now what the church was offering me is that I, they were giving me opportunities to do what? To take the salvation that was given to me. What was the salvation? God sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe. Now Mike Rosell is a believer that Jesus Christ came, died, and arose on the third day. And all my sin was left in the tomb. And he came out so I will never ever experience death. This is some really good news for a sinner. I want you to know, good news. So now my good news now needs to be expressed in some way, manner. And I can't just run around going, I'm a puzzle, I'm a puzzle. They go, no, you're a piece. So now I'm part of a church that's growing and I want to be involved. So now I'm part of a church that's not only growing, the reason it's growing is giving opportunity. So every time I'm in church, all of a sudden they, add, they give another opportunity for knock on my heart. Hey, we're going to start this thing called bodybuilders. Everybody show up. We don't know how many men will show up, but we got all these communities around the, the church that we're going to start cleaning up, you know, widows and orphans, take care of some you know, uh, single family moms are going to bring their cars in. We're going to change some oil. And uh, 300 guys show up. And uh, I didn't know how to change oil because I don't know how to work on cars. And I wasn't really good at mowing the lawn because I didn't. And uh, so they asked me, what can you do? And I said, I can cook. So next thing you know, of all things I cooked was 300 hamburgers that day. <laughs> Little did we know. But God did. Why? It's my wheelhouse. So the men and all got put in groups and we went out and we raked leaves and took care of screens that were down. And ironically, what happened from that bodybuilding is because we were surrounded by a Jewish community. We ended up being the largest messianic church in America and we didn't even know it. We had over 3,000 born again Jews. We didn't call them that. We just called them Christians. And they all wanted Bob to change, you know, to take the Jesus out. But they loved coming and they loved the people. And because we would go in these big communities where the snowbirds would come down and they would live there for four or five months and then go back up north, this church just started growing with people that started to get saved. But we didn't know that there was, you know, we didn't know that they were born-again Jews. We just thought there were people making their way to altars like Germans and, you know, I'm Heinz 57. Did people getting saved? That's all we knew. And so Pam and I, now we go out on tour and we start doing Messianic temples and they find out that we're going to Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and they start telling us we're the largest Messianic church in America. I go, we don't even know who they are. They don't even know that. So you guys don't do this? I go, we've never done this. The Messianic service went for two hours before Pottersfield even got started. He's like, great day, man. But I would tell you, it was a long day. How'd that happen? The piece of the puzzle went in the community and met needs of the people. We want to be part of a church. Now, did it come with some opposite, with people criticizing? Yeah. Anytime a group of people get together and lock arms to do something, and people don't like the way you go about it, it's going to get criticized. 
I wasn't part of the leadership. I just went out and did what they asked me to do because I was just really glad to be part of a puzzle that was being put together. Really, that's it. But God had something something else as he started to move us out. And he, what he did is he'd given us gifts and talents. And what God does is when he does give gifts and talents, he wants you to use them for his glory. They're not something that we get to hide under a lampshade. If you have a lamp, you put it, on, put it under the table. So as God started working in Pam's and my heart, we started seeing all these people leave the things of the world and to go out and do the things that God had called them to do as we were watching them in an act of obedience. Again, Psalm 27 hadn't come into, come into play yet. But in uh, Daily with the King on the 9th yesterday, it really kind of hit home what this whole message today for me is. Oftentimes we, in this culture, um, and I think just as humans, is a lot of times we want to praise the Lord. But we praise Him after the, the... It was much easier for me to praise the Lord uh, when God, uh, when this man laid hands on me and my herniated disc was healed than before I had him lay hands on me to heal Does that make sense? It's just easy to praise the Lord in the aftermath. But remember Jesus, when he's walking and Mary and Martha come running up, my brother Lazarus, he's dead, he's dead, where were you? You know, my, your friend, like kind of remind, your, your friend is dead now. You know, the guy that was with you all these times and now we called for you and you didn't rush back. And if you would have got here when he was sick and if you would have prayed for him, he would have got healed, but now he's dead. Father, this is not for me. This is for them. He's not dead. We had the funeral. He's asleep. We just took a long nap, man. Lazarus, come on out. Jesus knew what the Father was going to do before he asked the Father to do it. February 9th, Daily with the King. I promise to value praise more than before. Praise is the natural outgrowth of trust. The one who truly believes will automatically praise God. Before I thought praise should come after the act was done. I ask, God answers, so I praise. But this is weak, sickly praise. Jesus thanked his father before he raised Lazarus. I should look at the problems, difficulties, and the impossibilities and then praise God ahead of time for the opportunity of glorifying his name. If Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible and believable, then praise should characterize my life. All things come together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose and plans. That's what Romans 8.28 says. Difficulties to the Christian are only miracles that have not yet happened. I want to say that to you. Difficulties to a believer are miracles that are going to happen that just haven't happened yet. So if I'm To always believe, then I should always praise, since perfect trust eliminates worry, anxiety, and fills me with good feelings. To live a life full of praise, I must thank God for evil circumstances as well as thank Him when I'm in evil circumstances. What? 
Yeah, let me read that again. Hey, I'm in the middle of some evil. Praise God. Got some evil circumstances on its way. Want to praise God. Why? Well, evil is dark. And Psalm 27 says that God is light. The very first time in the Bible that God refers to himself as light in Psalm 27. Jesus that goes in the New Testament says, I'm the light of the world. When God surrounds me with harassments, he is preparing me for a breakthrough to victory and growth, and he could not accomplish it in any other way. I want to say that to you again. When God surrounds me with harassments, he is preparing me for a breakthrough to victory and growth that he could not accomplish in any other way. So in the sense, evil circumstances are my friends. I love you, friend of evil. <laughs> and I should become, and I should, I should welcome them as much as David welcomed the lion and the bear. Come on in, lion and bear. Which made him already for Goliath which made him ready for Goliath. If I welcome them, I will praise. And if I praise, they are no longer my enemies, but my conquest. Therefore, as James advises, I will rejoice and jump for joy when surrounded by impossibilities. You know, I love the fact that David, and I want to consider this because I hadn't thought about this, and this is something that I just saw. When David went to Saul, when he found out that there was this Goliath and the Israeli army was cowering down around this rock and this Goliath was just walking around, mouthing off, mouthing off, hadn't even done anything yet. David goes to Saul. Hey, here's this kid, David. He thinks he can take him down. And Saul looks at this kid and goes, are you kidding me, little kid? You're not, you're going to get killed, man. You can't do that. He goes, no, I'm going to go fight this guy. He goes, well, let me give him my harness. So Saul puts his little armor on him. You can just see David walking around going, dude, I can't wear this stuff. It's just, it's not right. So he just takes it off and, and he's talking to Saul and he goes, look, 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 here's the deal. This is not my first fight. This is not my first fight. Okay, so this guy's a big guy, but I want you to know, I fought lion, I fought bear. I take this guy down. I'm a shepherd. Anytime anybody comes into my flock that's going to hurt my sheep, I take them out. That's what I do. I take care of my sheep. And lions and bears always want my sheep, so I'm going to take care of them. Saul goes, hey, go, go have it. But listen to what happened. David didn't go take down Goliath, which we know he did, and goes, that's it. That's it. I did the one task, and that's all I'm ever going to do. That was my battle. So when we get to heaven, we're not going to see David. And we go, hey, so who are you? He goes, David. Fought a giant. What else? Just a giant, one time. That's all I do. What'd you do? No. Once you fight a giant, you go looking for other giants. Why? You know how to fight giants. Deep get called unto deep. Deep get called unto deep. So Pam and I get called out of the world. We get called into ministry. Four months we go into ministry, we get on our first mission trip. Ten years later, and we probably did 30, 40 trips with World Vision and other ministry organizations. We get called in to start our own our kids program. On October 5th, I made my first trip to El Salvador. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. 
Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil advances against me, devour my flesh. Let me tell you, every time that we have stepped out in faith in any way, shape, or form, the enemy has come out of us with full frontal attack. My second trip to El Salvador with my board of directors, something so big took me out that I came home and said, I cannot take anybody else to El Salvador. And if I showed you the size of it, we would need a microscope to see it. You see, my second trip down to El Salvador, I got bit by a mosquito. And before I landed here in the Flathead Valley, they had already known and diagnosed me with dengue fever and rushed me straight to the hospital. I almost lost my life. Let me say, if your second trip, before you even start the work, before you even go build the program, before you even ask a pastor and his team to come down, before you ask parents to send their kids to Ignite, and you're going to go send them there for six months, if the enemy wants to really take you out, he wants to take the leader of the ministry out by giving them this little mosquito that's carrying dengue fever. For those you don't know, your fever runs, but it's not the fever, although you do black out for about 16 days. It's called the bone-crushing disease. For 16 days, I didn't even know where I was at. But every time I rolled over, any time I by bones, was somebody taking a razor blade and actually cutting me. I wasn't going to put anybody in that, so the enemy wanted to take us out. And I literally said, we aren't going to go. We're going to have to go find another country. I'm not saying no on the kids' program, but we're not going to go here. And the Lord said, well, who's the one that asked you to go? And as I started to unpack it, I started to realize, hey, this is from... This is this Psalm 27. The Lord, you're my light and salvation. Of whom shall I fear? You're the stronghold of my life. Of what mosquito do I need to be afraid? <laughs> when those little guys come against me to devour me and the other people, they're going to stumble and fall. We'll just get some deed. We'll make sure everybody has plenty of deed on them. And we won't be stupid like me walking through puddles with uh, Birkenstocks on. We'll make some real plans. We'll, drop, we'll take deep bombs and drop them over the property. I mean... But let me say this to you. He tried to take me out. And I just got my new passport. Because my old one looks like this. Do you have it? Hundred and sixty one stamps. One little mosquito. Almost took the opportunity of this ministry to travel over 161 times, taking. Do we have the numbers, Chris? Did they ever have 2,300 people on short-term mission trips? How many Ignite students? Over 300 and something overall with all the schools. One mosquito almost took out all of that. And lives that have been changed by the time they've been on the field. I can't even tell you where the people are today that have been on those mission trips that are out serving the Lord today. Because I was in a position to make a decision. And the decision I was going to make is I wasn't going to put those people who actually ended up going on those trips because of one mill mosquito. Do you understand how Psalm 27 starts to come into play in my life? Let me go again and read it. Lord, you are my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. When a mosquito, when people, when 
denominations, non-denominations. Lord, when pastors see my hair in a ponytail and they say that I'm from the pit, Lord, all the, I mean, listen, I, it, it didn't stop. They will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. My heart lives in fear because I was in fear of all the time being conformed to what others wanted me to do and to be because I'm a parachurch pastor and parachurch ministries need churches to do ministry. So I'm always in the position of being conformed by what others say I should be doing. Does that make sense? But the fear was not coming from the Lord. And so as I started to see, and the Bible says this, that a man, he's, Bible has, Jesus says, I didn't, you did not choose me, I chose you. And I chose you to bear fruit that would what? Last. I just don't want your fruit to grow fall and no one eats it. I've I've chose you to bear fruit. So as God has continuing to call us to go deeper, wider, higher, further, faster, I got to come back to Psalm 27. Why? This is my promise from the Lord. It was a promise that was given to me by the Lord through a woman who is an amazing prayer warrior who knew that I was going to need something in my life that I could suit up, saddle up, and make sure I had one in the chamber. Why? The enemy wants to take me out. He wants to take you out. And I can tell you, he hasn't stopped. And I can tell you this too, in this last month, I almost took myself out. How'd I do that? When you have a ministry that literally has the responsibility of feeding and taking care of and helping pastors around the world, we're 15,000 children on the, on the low end. It literally is much higher than that when you consider the kids that aren't in the program that we don't turn away. And the amounts of resources that get wired every month. You have to know that I oversee, I require incredible amounts of stewardship, accountability. And as I travel into these locations, I find that they don't have the same convictions that I do. And I have found myself in times putting real challenges to men that they need to take the word of God a little bit more seriously when those who are making the sacrifices. You see, my largest donor at Pottersfield Ministries is a wealthy guy and he gives very little compared to his wealth. People think we have big, big, big donors. We have thousands of people giving $20 a month. I've watched hundreds of people. And for those of you who've been out with us on tour or seen us on tour, literally my heart breaks when I see a woman with a purse and two kids and a pen in her hand. And she's talking to my wife. And my wife is signing her books. And I can see Pam's eyes welling up. Here is a lady who is by herself alone with two kids filling out this form for a $20 a month sponsorship because she wants her two kids to understand that we have a great life, even though a hard life in a great country. That makes up our support base. So this ministers to me that when I send you 20, you better be a good steward of it. I got a phone call a month ago from a pastor who in my conversation with a handful of pastors in Africa, did not handle it in a way that would honor the Lord. 
Now, I had pastors sitting in there, and it was a cultural thing, probably, but I, by nature, um, before I go into what happened, I want you to know something. I, you guys can pray for me. I have a personality like, I always used to love the whole John and James thing. Jesus, you want us to call fire down from heaven? I can do it, man. Let's just go get them. I love that kind of like, come on, man, let's get them. You know how John did that? I like that. (laughs) What I didn't know is John didn't end up that way, though. John ended up laying on the the chest of Jesus. Here this man who called fire down from heaven at the beginning of his walk and into being one of the most gentle kind. Let me tell you, when you describe Mike Rozelle, you don't go, oh, he's really a gentle guy. <laughs> I asked Pam, I said, did anybody think would ever say that I'm like gentle? And she's like, ha, 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 ha. Like, <laughs> wow. But what a miracle of God if I become that. Because that would really be a miracle of God to transform a heart. I'm not going to stop discipling. I'm just going to drop the heavy hand of it. Why? It's not the character that he wants me to use. He doesn't want me to stop using and holding people to being good stewards. He just doesn't want me to do it in the manner of which I did. Now, I want you to know, in my time of brokenness, I haven't had one like this in a long time. I sat in my car, and uh, my staff will can attest to it because there was another man on the other end, and he used the words, I sat there and listened to him well. Those of you who have seen Potter's Field Ministries know that when the day that I came home and I opened up the door, the testimony goes that I walked in and I took two steps in the house and I fell down underneath the piano. And I was broken. That was the day that God set me free from an 18-year alcohol addiction and 11-year cocaine addiction. You need to know, that was 27 years ago, August. I was as sober that day that I will be today. But you need to know, not everyone believed whatever happened under that piano took place a week later because they knew the man of 18. They didn't even think of you. I think there's still people today going, now oh, he's going to drink. You know, I mean, it's been 27 years, but something's going to happen. You know, I'm sure. But time always discerns what God did, right? Well, let me tell you what happened in that car that day. I knew that the day that happened... 27 years ago, underneath that piano, there was a day of reckoning that was going to come with my sin before the Lord. I was going to surrender my heart, my life. I didn't know it was that day, but when it did, it was really amazing. It was a time of brokenness and tears and cleansing. And let me just say this. uh, The confession of sin is some of the most cleansing times of your life. What happened in my car was not me falling under a piano. What happened in my car is the piano fell on me. When a piano is falling, you don't know it's falling, but it's falling before it ever hits. You only know it hits when it hits, but it's still in free fall falling towards you. This was something that God was getting ready to do in me for what he's getting ready to do. And I'm praising him for this time of brokenness because it's going to change this ministry. But I was broken. 
broken before the Lord, broken before my staff. And I had to write some tough letters. And one of the hardest things for a man who grew up with rejection, abandonment issues, is that it's not hard for me to ask for forgiveness because I'm a man who needs it and I'm a man who will give as much grace as you need because I've received more than you can imagine. But what really does cause me the greater issue is that I, I have an expectation of what should happen once I take the time to write that, if that makes sense. I had to live with the fact that whatever I did had to be okay because what I was doing was me being right with the Lord. Not being right because someone asked me to write a letter or because someone called me to tell me that I culturally uh, was insensitive and even in my behavior it would be insensitive here. It was unchristlike. It really was. And what the Lord had to show me where the real brokenness came from is this fight that I had for children around the world that if I didn't allow him to change my personality, there weren't going to be any children, any pastors were going to allow me to have access to. So the very thing that God had gifted me and challenged me that I was actually in my love for these kids were going to lose the opportunity to because my personality was going to keep people away from allowing me to. And the Lord said, you have to go back to these men before you go forward with these men. And one by one over the week, we got these amazing letters. I can tell you this right now. I'm closer to those guys in Africa than I ever dreamt I could ever be. Because of the position of which they see me in, of which I don't, was something that brought great conviction. Because you see, in Africa, because the guy who brings the resources and has sent probably 100 interns that have lived over six months on their islands helping them do what they do. In their place, they just see the position which God has held me to and in as a position of um, prominence. And for that, I stumbled them. Now, when Aunt V said, this is going to be a verse that you're going to need someday... This 90-some-year-old woman never knew how much this man needed it last week. The Lord is my light and salvation. But he went on to say this, Lord, search my heart. Know my ways. Know that this is not who I want to be. Lord, you know you've given me a personality to call fire down from heaven. But Lord, I don't want to end up that way. I want my head on your lap. I want to become John the gentleman, not John who called fire. Lord, you know if you have to send me in, I'll go fight. I'm still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Last week, I did something for the first time in my Christian life. In the midst of all of this, I had to stop and ponder. Well, let me say this. It's not entirely true, but kind of true. There was something that happened when we started this school. Be still and know that I am God. This is not one of those verses I just really love. Why? It's the first two words. It's just, you know, just, it, just be still. Why? We got a lot to do. Let everybody else be still. I'm running, you know. You guys get it. It's just not something I want. I like, oh, la, 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 la. Be still and know I'm God. 
So we bought this ranch up in my, up in Only, and uh, man, from the outside, it was great. Man, we walked through it, and it was beautiful. And it was okay. So we, okay, we, so we spent four hundred thousand dollars on an eighty-acre, five thousand square foot log, and we're going to put a bunch of kids in there. And we're going to fix this up. Maybe you know we'll just do a lot of the work ourselves, and we'll have these kids come. And all of a sudden, we hear this. What is that noise at night? What is that? It's getting a little louder. So we get up there, we open the door. Oh, gee, many. There's 150 bats. And their waist was knee high. We found out we had to gut the whole thing with no money. Yeah, the look you guys have, I had. I'm, I'm, I'm in full freak out. Full freak out. So I'm walking around the property and I had to get off this property because I'm just like, I wish you would never show me. I would have just sold the place. Now that I know it's there, I can't just hide those things. How do I get rid of them? You know? And I'm walking around and I just start walking down this trail. And as I walk down this trail, it's about 50 yards and all of a sudden I'm right there. Do you have the, the picture? I find this place. I find this place and it's a rock and it's on Dog Lake. And I'm there by myself and I'm crying out to God. Now over there in the far right, you can't see it. I'm sitting there and I'm crying out to God going, what have you done? What have you obligated me to? 150 bats in the attic? Oh my gosh. The copper wire is hanging out of the wall. I mean, people are going to get electrocuted. Whose parents are going to, what kid's going to let their, or what parent's going to let their kid come up here and live where there's 150 bats? And I'm like, well, then we can't even ask them to. There won't be any bats. And I had to get rid of 150 bats. So I'm having one of these like full freak outs and I just feel this calm down. I'm sitting, listen, northwestern Montana, up there by myself. This is an interview, but I wanted to show you. I had to find a picture. This is this place. This was my rock. 364 students come through the program. For all the Ignite students, what do we call it? On the? It came from this place. This was the first on the mount experience. Every one of our students will tell you that that's one of the greatest parts of the school is they get to go on the mount. They spend seven hours a week like this. They get to go anywhere on the property and find their place. I could send any of them who are up at the ranch, go up to that ranch today, and you could find your place. Sid, would you find your place? Right? Yeah, everybody? Jenny, you have a place? That was how many years ago? I can find my place. Now, what happened that day? I'm crying out to God, crying out to God, crying out to God. Are you kidding me, God? And he said, be still. And I said, I am still, but I'm on it. I wanted some answers. And I'm sitting there, and you know what happens? Right out of that pine comes a bald eagle. At full tilt, man. And then goes into a dive. I'm sitting there all alone watching this like this. <laughs> this bald eagle goes right and like crash dives right into the lake. Now that big old pike does this bend with this pike hanging. He goes back up to that thing and I'm like, this is radical. This is like, and I'm freaking out and I'm having a geographic, you know, national geographic moment and I've got no camera and I have no one, no one's going to believe me because I can't see the eagle now. And You guys still don't believe it happened, but a lot of people seen it since then, but it happened and I'm having it and the Lord's going, hey, 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 I'm in this. I've been in it from the beginning. I'm never going to let you go. 
You're going to see all of this. But you're not going to, it's not going to come without tears. It's not going to come without confession. It's not going to come without growing. And what the Lord has shown me is that for me to have more of him, I have to have less of me. You see, we see this on more of you in my life. What we're really saying is less of me. I really don't like being 59 years old, crying so hard that I lose composure and I can't get it back. That's what happens when you hurt people the way I hurt people. My intent is not to. But I don't want to lose the opportunity to be part of a puzzle that's much bigger, broader, deeper, wider, higher than any one man could ever make of himself. This is a really lonely life. To be a piece, you have to be a part. And to be a part, you have to be in. And to be in, you have to be used. We're going to start giving opportunity for the church here at Selah. And this next year, the call of God on my life is to make sure I lay a foundation that is debt-free and it has stability that will support millennials and the next generation of Gen Zs for the next hundred years. So what it's going to look like is not going to look like you guys think it should look like, but it's going to look like what it has to look like because Pam and I can't carry the weight of the financial burden of this ministry and stay in tour. Otherwise, I'm going to be in some nursing home with electric potter's wheel going... (laughs) And that would be pathetic, you know? But we have a young group of people, man, I'm telling you, they're an army and some of the greatest witnesses. And I've had the privilege of watching many come to the altars during altar calls. And as much as I love doing it, i got to tell you, one of the greatest witnesses I have is when I step back and we're at a place or a church or even in a, in a secular venue and I see 11 of these millennials that are working on a trailer and these people are coming and they're, you know, you've heard the story. I sit back, they don't know who we are, but they sit there in line, they bought a hamburger and they're waiting, they're waiting for their name to be called and they're watching this video and then they get to see and it's the same story I tell, but you got to see it's such a phenomenal witness because their brains are going, what is this thing? That's her and that's her. Tom? Yeah, I'm Tom. Still don't know what this is. A great burger, too. Hey, what do you guys do? Well, here's what we do. We go fishing. Why? This ministry doesn't affect anybody. No ministry does unless we take it outside the walls of this ministry. This is a place where we come and get inspired, encouraged. And I listen, my generation has a really hard time. My past, Pastor Steve will tell you, uh, the transparency that I, would, I just shared with this congregation today would concern some people because it would cause um, their concern is, Pam, how do they put it, causes people to stumble. My transparency. Well, you know what? I'm a flawed man. I know who I am without Christ. I know who and what I will be without Christ. But what I can be with Christ and what he can do through us He says, 
exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything you can hope or imagine. And that's my plan for each and every one that wants to be part of it because I want to be glorified from glory to glory. Not valley to valley. Let's not, let's, yes, I had a valley a couple weeks, but I'm getting back to glory time. I'm tired of the valley. I do end up there occasionally, and I want you to know it. I've been in ministry where I know that men, I know them, and I know they're not the guys that stand up there, and I know it. And that's not the kind of man that's going to lead this ministry. And I'm not trying to stumble anybody. I just need Jesus every day. And sometimes four times by noon. I'm sorry, I have to tell you. Yes, I'm on being recorded. I want you to know I need Jesus. I need him big. (laughs) And I am really sorry if I've hurt anybody. My intent is not. He has been so good to me. I need your help to hold me accountable to be the man of God that I want to be. I don't want to have to go and look in the eyes of children that I can't help because of my character. So Jesus has to change my character so I can keep going to do and help the children that he's opened the doors for me to do. Because all you have to go is with me once, man. And there is something absolutely wrong. That a child has never been able to do this. And I mean millions of them have never done this. And if that doesn't bother you, you're probably in the wrong place. Because it bothers me and I lose sleep. But what bothers me more is that I almost lost an opportunity to be able to go over and help because I'm willing to help. But yet my character was not in line with what would represent Christ. And that changed in that Jeep last week or a month ago. Pastor Steve, amen. amen. Again, I'm sorry. I got, we all have blind spots, man. <laughs> man, I tell you, when I'm in that little Jeep in the summer and I'm driving and I got that, I will tell you, I don't do it anymore. But I used to drive with my beats. <laughs> They're great sounding, but listen, I would feel like I was in my own like live video. <laughs> but I would never see the big log trucks. And they would, wah! And even through my beats, I'd go, whoa! And I'd just go, thanks, man. I'd take the beats off. But that, don't, I don't do it anymore, officer. I, everything's being recorded these days. It's a little inside joke. Um, The point is, is that occasionally in those blind spots, the Lord will come up alongside and lay on his horn. Don't get mad and do what they do in Philly. Well, wave. Thank them. I thank the Lord what I went through last week, last month. Again, The Lord is my light and salvation, of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evil advanced against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I can stand confidence. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. 
David wrote this when his son Absalom came against him with his own army. David fleed out of Jerusalem and he went out into the wilderness. You see, David, what he was missing was this was a man who spent a lot of time in the tabernacle. David spent time in a time of worship and what he met, what he missed is he missed that time with the Lord. And so last week, when I say that I haven't done this in a really long time, I haven't done it in a really long time. Because of what I went through and the revelation and the shame and the embarrassment of which I felt um, that I had caused these brothers to stumble. And even though I had accepted or they had accepted my apology and we are more than more than good, I sat in the morning and Pam would come down and I would find myself just sitting on the couch and I, without my Bible open or anything, I was going to have my devotion afterwards, but I would just sit like I would on the rock and I'd just be still. And I would sit and be still. And I would just wait and just be still. Be still. And every morning what would come out of it in that stillness was grace. God's grace. God's grace. I was a recipient of God's grace. Charis, charis, charis is the word. Charis. It's something that is part of his sovereign hand. It's something that he gave me by nothing I could do. And I needed to be a receiver of it. And when you receive the amount you need, you don't get to hold on to what he gives you. You have to pour it out on others. I'm responsible to be a man of grace. But I'm responsible also because he gave me talents that I don't get to just fight one giant because I took one down. Because I'm a giant fighter. I don't get to give what God gives me and shrink back from what he's given me. He's in the business of expanding his borders, broadening his horizon, taking the stake, the tent stakes and expanding them. We don't get to determine My wife and I met a man named Noel Robbins on one of our cruise that Pam's cruises. Um, and I would always ask, you know, please don't let Pam sing on the opening night. Because when you're on a cruise, you're in a captive eye. Have I told you guys this? I haven't told them about Noel. Well, Noel's this old cat, and he's a fascinating story. But she opened up the cruise out of New York Harbor, and that night she was on, and that meant for the next five days six days, we had to be the celebrities on board. You can't be with the person that opens up the whole cruise because people are coming on vacation. And you're in a, you know, you're, and we, this was a really nice cruise line. So there was maybe 1,300 people, right? And really nice suites. So we're going to Bermuda. Pam opens. I look at the manifest. Because I liked the last night because then we could walk around, eat lobster, I can get sun, no one, and I'd, Pam can be with me before I tell her to stay in the room. So I go out and not... It's just really weird being with people that everybody wants to talk to. I'm not kidding you. I would have been a horrible celebrity. I would have been like Brad Pitt. I'm sure of it. No. The other guy who's angry. I don't know. (laughs) Fast time at Richmond High. I don't know. What was that guy? Hitting photographers. (laughs) Uh, I'm born again now. Uh, 
So Pam sings, and I'm and I go up and have breakfast, and the deck's full, and so I, hey, can I share this with you? And he guy says, oh yeah, sure, sit down. Older guy, start talking. I goes, what's your name? He goes, my name's Noel. What's your name? I'm Michael. And he goes, oh, nice meeting you. Man, I'll tell you what, that blonde girl last night, that she could sing that when she sang God Bless the USA. I thought the whole place, and I, I know he's talking about my wife. And I go, would you like to meet her? He says, well, you know, I go, I'm married to her. I'm going to bring some coffee to her. No. Yeah. Well, I'd love to meet her. Oh, really? I said, well, what are you guys doing there? Well, at 3 o'clock, they're going to have bingo. I said, we'll be at the bingo game. (laughs) Well, I got my hope, my wife happy with me. I go, what's her real name? She goes, it's happy. So hope wasn't happy. Oh, so this is hope. Oh, Steve Teague's mom was happy. Okay. Hope and happy, I don't know. But we met Hope. She wasn't very happy either, by the way, no. But let me say this. He was a non-believer, but he ended up investing because this guy came over from Russia when he was 14 years old. He was put on a train and then flown over here and uh, during the, the Stalin, the fall of Russia. And uh, he came here knowing no English, went to high school, ended up graduating from high school in three years, and he got into Yale. Yeah. And invited Pam and I to the Yale Club. Pam actually got to go into a room that women don't get to go into the Yale Club because Noel Robbins of Robbins Pharmaceuticals. So this guy becomes our friend. And he is just, Pam is the cat's meow to Noel. So he'd call her up and say, hey, we're doing the National Convention of Plastic Surgeons. Can you put together a band? And she goes, well, Noel, you know, the ships give me like, you know, 20-piece band. We'll pay whatever you guys need. Why am I telling you the story? It's because I walked into the Los Angeles Civic Auditorium where every plastic surgeon from all over the United States and every major doctor was going to be coming in and Noel Robbins was throwing the party. And my wife was sitting there on stage with some of the symphony and the most accomplished musicians you'd ever seen in your life. And I see my wife up there doing this with her charts. And I'd sit back and go, She's really got game. Like, real game. What if Pam had that kind of game, but went up and said, you know what, I don't want to use all these. And when Pam talks to him, it's like a whole nother language. No, I don't get yeah, the minor and the minor and the minor. Go, go down a drop and I expose this. And I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, you know, some of them are Polish. And she's going, no, I understand. Like, booch, booch, crunch. She's doing that with all of them, right? And I'm like, and then they would go to me, tell me, go, your wife's a phenomenal. And then she'd do this show that night and the whole thing, you know, 3,000 people there. But what if Pam came and goes, look, and I'm just going to do D, G, and Cs. That's it. I, don't want, I, I know all the other stuff, but I just want you to play three chords. Do some Dylan songs. Just, you know. I'm going to take it down a notch. I, don't be asking me for the big good stuff. What if I could throw 100 pounds of clay, but I never did? I just stayed on the five-pound stuff because, well, you always ask me for the big pots. I just want to... No. God says, I'm going to give you a measure of grace. I'm going to give you a measure of talents. Not talents. Whatever I give you, I'm going to give you, and you have to use all of what I've given you. And you have to be part of a body of believers so we can figure out what that part looks like. Interesting thing about Noel. He ends up here, loves his country, and Pam's friend... Deborah Belfort, since kindergarten, 
she was Nancy Reagan's assistant for her Just Say No campaign. And, you know, the Reagans were getting ready to leave the White House, and she'd call us, you know, she'd been there six years, six and a half years. You guys need to come. Come on the White House tour and go, we'll come, we'll come. And we never went. But then there was a convention in Washington, D.C., and Noel was there, and uh, Deborah had acne. And so Pam called Noel and said, hey, would you see my friend, Deborah? She'd really, I mean, I really think that you could do it. goes, oh, all my doctor friends are there. Send her over. I'd love to. So she comes over to the convention. She meets Noel. Noel takes her to this guy. Then he invented dermabrasion. And so Deborah gets this stuff done on her face. And Deborah asks Noel, would you like to come to the White House tour? And he's like, I'd love to see the White House. Now, keep in mind, this guy's from Russia, man. He's still got the thick accent. He comes to the White House, and this is what we find out afterwards. This guy's over the moon calling me, Michael, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What? Well, I went on the White House tour, but you're not going to believe what happened. Now, again, all these years, I'm thinking it's the White House tour that all of you guys go on. That's not the one Deborah was talking about. She just never told us. The Reagans were out of town. Guess where Noel Robbins got to go and sit? Yeah. She went to the... Secret Service, who are friends, going, this is a huge leap from Russia. To... And they took him into the Oval Office, and he sat at the desk of the President of the United States. Sorry, Deborah. All of a sudden, helicopters start coming on her house right now. <laughs> Noel Robbins got to go from Russia over here as an immigrant on a train, gone a boat, comes here, gets an education, develops, invents, and gets... To sit. If I could make a puzzle, I really was going to give this a shot, and Chris had just started laughing because she knew I'd still be there for like four months. <laughs> Chris would have helped me, we'd have got it done in minutes. But that's what this thing was going to look like. What is our life going to look like? What is this going to look like? Well, it's not going to come without challenges. It's not going to come without trials. But I'm telling you, Psalm 27 did give me something I want to leave with you. I am still confident of this, and I love this. And I'm going to highlight this, and this is going to be my new area of Scripture. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of the Lord this side of heaven. I will, and so will you, if we stay together and let God turn this puzzle into what he already knows it's going to be before he ever does it. And we should be singing praises with him and about it before we see it. Amen? Amen.